1: Hello and welcome to this special edition of Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. This episode was recorded as part of our Bloomberg Equality Summit. It was live, which allowed me to take questions from a global audience. And there were many for my guest, a business executive, a philanthropist, once a contender for the office of the U.S. president. I'm delighted to welcome the former CEO of Starbucks, the current chairman emeritus, and a long-time champion of equality, Howard Schultz, to out of office. Howard, it's great to see you.
2: Well, thank you so much. Great to see you. And you and I have a long history, and it's great to be with you.
1: Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. And just a quick reminder to the audience, this is an interactive session, so do use the chat box and send in your questions, and I'll do my best to incorporate as many of your questions um, as I can. So, Howard, it's been an intense year. We've had the pandemic, deeply divided politics in the United States, a real reckoning on on race. And we just saw the terrible tragedy unfold in Atlanta as well. What does the United States of America need to do to heal? Well,
2: I I think your, your question is so timely, given the tragic heinous act that we once again, unfortunately, have witnessed in America in terms of violence and people being discriminated against, and in this case, murdered. Unfortunately, it seems like we take a few steps forward and then we are once again reminded of the fragile nature of our society and the unfortunate divide that exists. Uh, America is going through a tremendous level of transformation as a result of both the pandemic and certainly what we've seen this year in terms of race relations. We have a long way to go. And I think what has happened in Atlanta has unfortunately reminded us that the fragile nature of our society needs a great deal of healing, of kindness, of compassion and empathy. And there's no place for this in America and no place for this around the world.
1: Now, Howard, I'm not going to ask you whether you will consider a presidential run in the future, because I know you're not going to give me a yes or no answer, but I will ask you this. What draws you to a future and to a life devoted to public service?
2: Well, I think for me, uh, I'm, I'm literally living proof of the American dream, having grown up in public housing. Uh, where the government federally subsidized the way I grew up, and I learned firsthand that your station in life does not define who you would be uh, and where you can go. Uh, as a result of the blessings that I've had and the situation that has given me the resources, I've I've wanted to devote my life at Starbucks to building a different kind of company, first and foremost, that would not only drive shareholder value and profit, but most importantly, great value for our employees. That's why we created comprehensive health insurance, equity in the form of stock options, free college tuition, and now uh, mental health for our employees. We did that to recognize that in order to build a different kind of company, there has to be equality, not only for shareholder value, but for the employees and our customers and the people that we're serving. Once I've left Starbucks, I've now devoted my life with my wife to our family foundation and doing everything we can to to fight for equality, fight for inclusion. And I think, unfortunately, raise a level of awareness about the things that are the underbelly of the problem in America. I'll give you one example uh, that is not being spoken about enough. Uh, If you look at low-income families in America, more than half of those families across the country do not have broadband internet access. So when you speak about opportunity and you speak about the fact that kids are not in school as a result of the the pandemic, that alone uh, demonstrates the significant divide in America where these kids and these families have not only lost a year of not being in school, but they are completely shut out From any access to education, any access of opportunity, any access for learning, not only the kids, but the families. And yet here we are, 50 percent of low income families in America without Internet access. It's just it's incalculable in terms of the void that that's going to create in their lives. And that's just one issue. We could speak about many. And so what I've tried to do in the position I have and the platform I have is to raise awareness, but most importantly, try and create a difference in in providing access of opportunity and equality and doing the things that are necessary to fight for what we all want, which is opportunity, respect, and dignity in our families, in the workplace, and in our society.
1: Yes, the digital divide has been a really, really real issue. We've been talking about that a lot at our Equality Summit. But, you know, back when you were a child, I think you were seven years old, and your father got into an accident. He was injured at work. And you as a little boy watched him lie on the couch, unable to walk. And that image would later define a lot of the values you held close to your heart as CEO of Starbucks. Can you tell us a little bit about how that incident influenced you?
2: Well, you've really done your homework. I will tell you that. Uh, Yes, my my, my father was a a truck driver, a blue-collar worker. It was an army vet, and uh, he had a series of terrible jobs, and this one job was— He was a delivery driver picking up and delivering cloth diapers before the invention of Pampers. And he slipped on a sheet of ice in March of 1960 and broke his leg and hip. And he was basically fired and dismissed without any health insurance, without any workman's compensation. And at the young age of seven, I witnessed the fracturing of our, of our family. There was no resources and we were really in big trouble. And I think the scars and the vulnerability, the shame of that experience as a young boy shaped the way I would begin to see the world. And I think as I spoke about Starbucks, there's a reason why I wanted everyone at Starbucks to have health care 25 years before the Affordable Care Act. And that was in many ways trying to build the kind of company that my father never got a chance to work for. And I think if you think about the equity of the Starbucks brand and what we built After 50 years and over 30,000 stores in in 80 countries, the equity of the brand is defined by the balance of not only uh, shooting for profitability, but elevating the experience for our people and building trust in the workplace with a culture and a set of values and guiding principles that stood for something more than just making money.
1: Well, at Starbucks, when you were CEO, you really pushed for the company to be inclusive and to be driven by purpose, healthcare, uh, you know, introducing healthcare for everybody, supporting gay rights, um, education for employees, support for veterans. But one of the campaigns, the Race Together campaign, which involved baristas literally writing Race Together on cups, that didn't do so well. What do you think went wrong or was America just not ready for that conversation? And do you think if you launched that campaign now, would it go down differently?
2: That's a very interesting question. I think when you are running a company like Starbucks that has such an opportunity uh, to speak to and to deal with customers, 100 million people a week visit Starbucks stores. And so the opportunity that we always had is to not only create a sense of community, but to communicate the values of the company and what the company stands for. And at the time, we felt that there was a unique situation in America where we could elevate the importance of race relations, of compassion and empathy to one to one another. I think we were ahead of our time, and perhaps uh, we went too far then in using the vehicle of Starbucks to talk about something that was uh, a very hot and emotional subject, the subject of race. But having said that, I think you have to have the courage to push for reinvention. You have to have the courage of your convictions. And I think the question is, what's the core purpose and reason for being of a company? Is it just to make money? Uh, I, I think the answer to that is no. And in my case, I think that Starbucks has an opportunity to respectfully uh, communicate the company's values and what we stand for, not for political gain, but to elevate society and to make our people and our customers proud of what we stand for. I think if we did that today, we probably would have a similar reaction. It didn't go well. But as I look back on that, I'm incredibly proud of the fact that the company had the courage to try the the courage to attempt to have a conversation. And of course, not everything goes right, but you look back and you learn uh, and you push for reinvention and self-renewal. And most importantly, you stand up for what you believe in.
1: That's a good moment, Howard, to bring in a question from the audience. And we have a question on racial equality. What do you think is the biggest inhibitor to racial equality in the United States today? That's a question from the audience.
2: Well, I think the biggest issue is that uh, we can go back to 1619 uh, when slavery was brought to America. And I think in, in reading uh, Isabel Wilkerson's book, *Cast*, which is a book that I think everyone in America should read. Uh, when you read that book, I think what's lacking is understanding. What's lacking is empathy and compassion. And. Uh, We have to do a much, much better job in America of teaching young people uh, a level of sensitivity and a level of compassion that we have not been doing. And I think we need to point out uh, when things are not right in our classroom, when not right in our workplace, uh, I think around the family table, we should be talking about the things that matter the most. And I think We have to have a society in which there is respect and dignity for all. Uh, I think also we should not be seduced by the fact that this has been a year in which the pandemic has certainly caused so many problems and so many issues. And certainly with regard to race relations, uh, we've seen a reckoning and an elevation of of a new level of understanding. But we should not be seduced that the problems are behind us. Uh, We have to continue to work very hard with one another to establish the kind of relationship and understanding that the only way America can move forward in the way that we all aspire for our families, for our children in the future, is for us to be in this together. And uh, the issue of race relations I I'm, I'm heartened and I'm inspired by the changes that are taking place but this is a this is just the beginning of the work that we need to do
0: You know success when you see it or you think you do the people in the spotlight athletes actors artists but what about the people behind the scenes QuickBooks dot com slash five APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
3: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: Now, Howard, you're a business leader. You're a philanthropist. You've considered a presidential run. In many ways, you've also just become sort of an ambassador for your country. And earlier, you know, um, China's uh, President Xi Jinping, he reached out and asked you to help repair U.S.-China relations. Um, And this is largely because you played a key role in expanding Starbucks uh, into China. But I'm curious, you know, given China's crackdown in democracy in Hong Kong, its treatment of the Uyghur population in China, how do you reconcile those human rights issues with the values you hold close to you as a person and the values that Starbucks believes in?
2: Uh, there's a lot to unpack in that question. So uh, let me try and be very thoughtful uh, in trying to answer that the best way I can. Uh, I've been going to China now uh, for over 20 years, and probably uh, during that time, as an executive of an American company, have been to China more than or as much as anyone uh, sitting in a CEO seat running an American company. Um, I have great respect for the Chinese people and the relationship that we have built as a company there. Uh, We have over 5,000 stores, and we employ over 50,000 people, and. I've seen firsthand uh, the values of of young Chinese people who work for the Starbucks company. Let me say this first off. Um, I don't think China as a country is an enemy of America. Um, I think they are a fierce competitor and they're they're an adversary of, of America, but they are not an enemy. Having said that, there are clearly significant differences in our society and how the government runs the country but first and foremost we must recognize that china and america have a role to play that is so significant in the world order and that if the world is going to function effectively with the efficacy that we need china and america must Figure out a way to cooperate. And I I think the rhetoric of the last four years has not been helpful to that situation. I think the Biden administration is still being very tough on China. They are building allies in our ability to convince the Chinese government to understand that the issues around uh, human relationships, uh, the issues around piracy, the issues around currency. Uh, All the issues that we feel are inconsistent with American democracy needs to be addressed. Having said that, China is not going to conform to everything that America wants in the same context that America is not going to conform to everything that China wants. But I do believe that the leaders in China and the leaders in America want to and recognize the critical issues of us cooperating for the benefit of the rest of the world if this is not accomplished there will be significant problems and i am optimistic that under the biden administration and what is currently going on that we will figure out a way uh, to cooperate with china that will enhance the rest of the world your issues and your questions are correct there are human rights issues, and there are aspects of the Chinese government in the way they act that is not consistent with American democracy. But there are opportunities for us to cooperate and, I think, do things together that can benefit the rest of the world, benefit American citizens, and benefit Chinese citizens.
1: Now, Howard, I want to go back to what we began this conversation with, which is what happened in Atlanta. And there has been a rising tide of violence against the Asian-American community. We had a session on this yesterday, and one of the entrepreneurs talked about how, uh, you know, people want money from Chinese businesses, yet it's really sad that the Chinese community or the Asian-American community remains invisible. Um, What role can corporate America play to help the Asian American community?
2: Well, corporate America has a role to play almost in all aspects of the questions you've been asking and the problems and many of the problems in our society. Uh, One thing is for sure that with the United States government sitting with almost $26 trillion in debt, the United States government is not gonna be able to solve all of the problems in American society at a time in America where there has been record profits and the Dow is at 33,000, there is a great opportunity for American corporations to do much more in their communities in which they are serving their customers and with the municipalities that are facing drastic cuts in tax revenue as a result of the pandemic. And so the, the question in terms of being specific is, There has to be a renewed level of participation in all aspects of American life in which American corporations are doing much more to facilitate a cooperation between the government and the private sector. With regard to the the Asian-American issue, I mean, every company in America today, if if I was sitting in the seat at Starbucks, I would have had a company-wide meeting yesterday with every employee at Starbucks. And I would have raised the issue of the fact that this is completely unacceptable, that we as a company have a responsibility to speak out against any kind of violence, any kind of discrimination, and certainly discrimination in which any Asian American has been murdered just because they are Asian. And I would have lifted that conversation up in the company, and I think that should be going on in every company in America and every CEO and every business owner should be responsible and held accountable for communicating that to their employees. I think when I heard the, the sheriff or I forget what his position basically say that the 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 person who has been accused of the murder of doing the murder said, I just had a bad day and he had a press conference basically providing that person a license for the for that heinous act is not only unacceptable, but again, gives license to the kind of things that are unacceptable in America.
1: Howard, I wanna turn our attention to another very important issue that someone in the audience has brought up and that's mental health. And the question is, you left Starbucks because of exhaustion. What is your advice for other CEOs and leaders who are facing burnout in their jobs or heightened anxiety due to the pandemic?
2: Well, first of all, I did not leave Starbucks because of exhaustion. I I, I left Starbucks because after almost 40 years, I thought it was best that Kevin Johnson and the next group of leaders took over the company. Mm -hmm. But your question is such an important question. Uh, As an example, at Starbucks this past year, uh, we have created a partnership with a company called Lyra Health, L-Y-R-A, to provide mental health benefits to every employee who wants that opportunity. Uh, I think there is uh, another pandemic in America as a result of the coronavirus, and that is isolation, loneliness, and, and that isolation has produced a tremendous amount of depression. And I think we need to recognize as a society that mental health is not something that you should be embarrassed about, and mental health is something that should be elevated and and everyone in America should recognize that we all need an opportunity if we if we desire it for that kind of service and that kind of benefit and i would encourage every company in America to look at their health benefits not only in terms of physical health but mental health as well i also think uh, there should be no one that should be embarrassed uh, by by raising your hand and saying, I need help. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, clearly, there, the, the evidence is so obvious that people who seek out uh, help and the resources of mental health professionals provide uh, a an opportunity to not only get healthier, but provide a opportunity in the workplace for their family and so on.
1: How have you been doing during the pandemic? I know you've had some surgeries last year. How are you?
2: Uh, I, I'm doing fine. I thank you for asking that. I have had a, a couple of back surgeries, but I I, I have found, uh, you know, this this period in, in my life uh, and devoting so much of our time to the Family Foundation, to post 9/11 veterans, to Opportunity Youth kids who are 18 to 24 who are unfortunately not in school and not in work, and and pivoting the Family's Foundation to fighting for equity and inclusion and doing everything we can. Uh, to make a difference, to be an inspiring time. Um, I I said something earlier about not being seduced uh, by the fact that uh, there's been a great level of self-awareness in the country about race, but we also shouldn't be seduced that once the country is vaccinated, that all of a sudden the world is going back the way we once were. And I think there's going to be a tremendous change in how we work, how we live, how we play, And there's going to be adjustments that are going to be very, very significant. And one of the things that I have been fighting for is the fact that small business owners in America have probably faced their most significant challenge of anyone within the business world today. Because there has been a fracturing and a a level of permanent closures of so many businesses in America. And a large majority of them have been black and brown owned minority businesses. And those businesses have really suffered because they have not had the resources. And finally, because of the stimulus package, we're going to get some money to those businesses, but it's too late. And, uh, and we are going to find ourselves not only with those businesses having closed, but they, they, they represent such an important level of the social fabric of neighborhoods and communities, and those businesses, for the most part, many of whom are, are, are going to be permanently gone.
1: Howard Schultz, we're out of time. I could go on and on, but we do have to watch the clock. I thank you so much for joining me today on Out of Office, and I hope you stay well.
2: Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure.
1: That was Howard Schultz in a special live episode of Out of Office, and I hope you enjoyed the chat. For more episodes of Out of Office, please check out Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Bloomberg Terminal, or Bloomberg.com. This episode was produced by Yajo Sun and Laura Carlson. I'm Malika Kapoor. Thank you for listening, and stay well.